Good morning. Doesn't count if you're not on, if you can't, if I'm not live because the folks watching online can't hear me. It's glad to see everybody this morning. Take your Bibles, your copy of God's Word, and turn with me to Psalm 72. Psalm 72. If if you would, I don't know that your Bible shows this, but if you find the end of chapter 72, your Bible may or may not have book three on there. And so you sort of see what we were shooting for. We arrived there today. We were shooting to finish book two of the five books of the Psalms. And so we arrived there today. What we'll do is we'll leave the Psalms for a season and we'll, we'll study some other books of the Bible. If you're our guest with us, it's what we do. We, we, we hit a book of the Bible. We study all of it. And uh, we're at Psalm 72 today. Uh, next week, just so you know, we'll be looking at the cross, getting ready for Easter. And then Easter, we'll look at the resurrection. And then we're going to go to an eight-week series on, on the church, our vision and purpose. I'm super excited about that. We're going to study um, the solas that came out of the Protestant Reformation as some of the foundational beliefs of what, where we stand. And we're super excited about it. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But right now, Psalms 72. Um, Stand with me. Notice the subtext. It says, of Solomon. We're going to look at all of it today. Verse 1, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound to the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all the kings fall down before him. All nations serve him, for he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper, for he has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. For the oppression and violence he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live, may the gold of Sheba be given to him, may prayers be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land and on tops of the mountains. May it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, 
who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May, all, may the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Let's pray. Lord, we bring you glory that we've been able to study this second book of your Psalms. It has taught us well how to rejoice and how to lament, how to pray, how to deal with the realities of life that we are all facing or that we all will face. And so, Lord, allow us to see both the now and the not yet of this passage. For our minds are oftentimes cluttered with all that we've had to deal with and are dealing with in our life. We pray that by faith and through the power of the Spirit, we'll be able to set that aside and focus on your word this morning. To draw strength and courage so that we would not be people of fear, but of faith. Lord, if there's somebody that's not dealt with the king today, I pray that you would bring salvation for the glory of your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you got your, your Bibles here, take a look at it with me for just a second. I'm just sort of getting our context sort of straight. If you look at Psalm 72 on most of your Bibles, it has a subtext here that says, of Solomon, of Solomon. Now, mind you got to flip it over. If you look at the end in verse 20, it says the prayers, plural, of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Sort of marking the way this, the Psalms was constructed, this being the end of the second book. This by no means is the end of what David has to say. There's going to be more Psalms of David to follow. Uh, that's interesting. So the question is, did Solomon write this or did David write it? Uh, it's interesting, just a little bit of grammar here, of Solomon can also mean to Solomon. Um, but it's the same way when we see Psalms of David. It could, it could mean of David, it could mean to David. But here's the thought, as I studied this week, uh, most people believe this is actually Solomon, not David. He's approaching this new to be the king. As you remember, we'll look at some of the texts. We don't have time to look at all of the Old Testament texts on Solomon when he was fixing to start this kingdom, but he was overwhelmed with what he was going to have to do. What God has laid before him, not only as being the king, but also to build the temple. It was just quite a task. And so this is most likely a prayer for him, as he approaches the king to be at this king and this kingdom, the, the nagging question as we go to the third book, let's close out the second, and, and, and you're thinking about David now. As remember last week, David's old. Solomon, his son, is about to reign in his stead. The, the question in the people's mind is, is God still going to be with us when David dies? Or does the promises of David die with him? Does God's blessings going to leave with him? Is, is Solomon going to be a good king? Is, is he going to lead the way that David did? 
Those are those nagging questions. Not unlike in our country, when one leader leaves and the other leader comes, we have all of these questions and fears that that are in our mind. We all want something perfect, don't we? If you were young, I, I can remember if, if I, when, whenever I would go out with somebody new, I'd get a new girl in my life, I would always go to the store and buy me a new shirt, you know, for that first time that we went somewhere, it had to be the perfect shirt. There are even people with the perfect shoes. They don't even like to wear them. They, they don't even like to bend their feet because they might put a crease in the shoes and they won't be perfect. And then you just think in your mind, I can have this perfect house. And oh my goodness, the perfect church, right? You know, you heard it said, it's true. It's tongue in cheek, don't join the perfect church because you'll mess it up. <laughs> And then we have this idea, I can marry the perfect spouse. Anybody that's been married longer, long, longer than three weeks knows that you found out you didn't marry a perfect one and they already knew that you weren't perfect. But Israel desired, or Solomon desired, to be a good king. To be a king like God wanted him to be. To be a king even like his father, who we know wasn't perfect. Because he wanted a perfect kingdom. That's what Israel desired. They knew the promises. How did that work out? So so this looks beyond Solomon. Looks beyond David. To a greater king and an everlasting kingdom. That's the main idea. If you've got the sermon notes, it's right there on top. The new king in Israel points all people to the king of kings. I just want you to see five qualities of the king and his kingdom. First, I want you to see the king and his kingdom. I want you to see first the king's character. The king's character. So just look at the text. We're just going to work our way through. Look at verse 1. It says, Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. So the reign would pass from the, from the king to, the, to somebody in his lineage. Son. And so from David to Solomon, we know if you study the history of this, that wasn't a, an easy or a pretty thing. But that's the way it flowed. But remember, Israel was distinct. Israel was a theocracy. And this king then was a representative, of a vicar, if you would, of God. God setting the king in place. The king must be given things. These things are given by divine right from the Lord, from God himself. That's the way they saw it. And so you see here that what he's not praying for is the justice of David. Give me justice like my father. No, it's God is the issue because God is the standard, not man. So he rules in the name of God over whatever land that God gives him. He is, the, as you would say, the little K king, not the big K king. He understands it, so he proves to see he wants to be a man of justice, a man of justice. And you see, you don't have to, this is constantly repeated in the text. 
It's not only repeated in this text. It is a major theme in the Psalms. This issue of justice. This issue of of looking after people who cannot look after themselves. This, This type of king would produce a particular type of a kingdom. The leaders, in the sense, setting the culture that would spread out. It happens in your family. It happens in our community. It happens in our country. And so he said, justice. What is justice? He, he says, you want to protect the weak members of the kingdom. He wants to deal with abuse. And it's, abuse in the Bible is called oppression. Matter of fact, you know, some of us say, you know, that God never intended for Israel to have a king. But it's, it's not really true. Uh, Deuteronomy 17, the Lord knew that they would have a king. You know, because he's omniscient and he makes the plans. He doesn't react to the plans. Deuteronomy 17, verse 14 says this. When you come to the land that the Lord your God has given you and you possess it and dwell in it and then say, I will set a king over me like the nations that are around me. Now, this was before they had kings, before they had land. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will Choose Now look down at verse 18, Deuteronomy 17, verse 18. It says, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them that his heart may not be lifted up above his brother's. That he may not turn aside from the commandments and either do to the right or to the left so that he may continue long in his kingdom. He and his children in Israel. You see, there was a distinction between the type of king that was supposed to reign in Israel. And this was the kind of king he wanted it to be. He must be just. But there's a, remember the whole root fruit that we talked about when we studied through John? There is a fruit that begets justice. And that is the second thing we see in verse 1 and verse 2. Righteousness. Righteousness is the root that produces the fruit of a good leader, of a good king. He must be righteous. Verse 2. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. So righteousness is the core issue that he says everything else comes from this. He puts it in, it's hard for us to see because we don't read the original language. He puts this in poetic order to show us how important these two things are, but especially this issue of righteousness, that if he is a righteous king, he will govern and judge people without bigotry, without bias. And the question for all of us was, well, was Solomon righteous? Sitting there going, well, in his early years, yes, he was. He, he desired to be. We're not going to read it. First Kings chapter 3 tells us about this commencement. He asked God for wisdom. He wanted to rule justly. He understood the task that was before him. 
Unfortunately, Solomon did not always live up to the high standard of what God laid before him. And that's what righteousness is, living up to the right standard, the standard that God lays forth. As he progressed, you know what happened? His wives turned his, him to idols. Interesting. What unjust kings begin to do is raise your taxes. That's interesting, isn't it? Just saying that's the story of history. It wasn't anything new with them. They, they want to finance all their building projects. So how are they going to finance their building projects? You. So they raise your taxes. They create a burden. They make us work longer hours. So because we have to pay it. That's what he, he began to do. He began to place burdens on the people. Once he turned from righteousness, injustice follows. So this reveals our need. That if the wisest man on the face of the earth at that time can fall, then what chance does any of us have? We need a perfect king. So let's look at this king's, what was he, what kind of kingdom did he desire? First, see, it needed to be, in verse 3, a place of peace. A place of peace. So, if he was a righteous king, got to see this root fruit coming here again, this repeated thing in the Bible. That if, he was a, if, he was, if he was a righteous king, then he would be a just king, and the place then of his kingdom would be a place of peace. Verse 3, let the mountains bear prosperity for the people, and the hills, again, see that word? In righteousness. In righteousness. Where peace is pursued, what it creates is a culture where people can thrive, not just survive. First Peter 3.10, let's listen to what it says. It says, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But to the face, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So we see here that he starts right. Solomon wants to be a, a man of righteousness because if righteousness, he will act justly. And if he acts justly, then his kingdom will be a place of peace where all people can thrive. Ephesians 2.14 says this about our Lord. For Jesus himself, Ephesians 2.14, for Jesus himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And so what Jesus came to do was to, to break, you remember the, the picture of the temple, the Holy of Holies has a, has a curtain that nobody could go through. He first breaks that. And then what, what is he getting at once that is broken? Now he restores God to man. This vertical problem that we have now is, is repaired, is restored, is fixed. And what he looks out into the horizontal and the center going, 
Why are you hating your Gentile brothers? Why are you hating your Jewish brothers? Why are y'all at odds at each other? Why, why, why do the black people and the white people and the Hispanic people and the, and the Hispanic people worship in different churches today? He was asking, he said, did not I not die to bring us one? That's what, he's, that's what he's getting at. Jesus changes everything. He comes to bring peace. Peace with God and then peace with each other. Where there Jesus is, there is peace. That's the answer. He's the answer. Romans 5.1. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. How? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdom then. This kingdom then. The, the now. Go back to the now. Solomon was, said, I want to be, be a king. I want to be a righteous king. Whose kingdom looks like peace. That produces a place of safety. A place of safety. Verse 4. You see how this safety is worked out. May he defend the cause of the poor and of the people and give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. That word needy, by the way, if you look at this text, is a repeated word. One of the responsibilities of this king was to bring safety for all peoples. That, that no one gets a leg up because they got money or because they're in some kind of socioeconomic class. Uh, you remember James. Old James, he deals with about all of it, doesn't he? He dealt with this in James chapter 2. You see, the church is meant to be just a small taste of a larger reality of the kingdom that's coming. Or a taste of, of the kingdom. And so this is why he corrects the church in James 2. Verse 1, he says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, You sit in here in a good place, while you say to the, the poor man, You stand over there and sit down at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. That's what he's saying. It's what Solomon wants, desires in his life. Is to be a good king, a good leader that produces safety for everyone, regardless of their situation, their class, or their brothers and sisters. I'm not preaching a social gospel here. This is the biblical gospel, the biblical idea of what justice should look like. When a good king, when a good leader reigns, and we know that's pointing somewhere. But let's look beyond that. That's just a taste. That's just a taste. Because he's got a reign. He's praying for his reign to be an enduring reign. The long live the king. You remember that? Long live the king. That was to said out of respect to all kings. But this king first wanted to have an enduring fear. I don't want to hear the word fear. Any kind of image could pop up in our head. Um, let's go to verse 5. Verse 5 now, back in Psalm 72. May they fear you while the sun endures as long as the moon 
throughout all generations. You could see fear in, in multiple ways to try to explain it, but let's just understand it in the context this morning of justice. Think about it that way for a second. Um, there is in a situation, let's say, the abused and the abuser. You with me? And the king, the, the just king, the righteous king finds out about it. You feel me? You see that? He finds out that this abuse is happening. Do you, do you, can you understand the fear that that abuser is going to feel when he finds out that the just king has find out, found out what he's doing and the gig's up? That's the fear. There's the other side of that fear. The fear that the abused feel when they know that their king is coming to their aid. There's going to be no more abuse. Two sides. You've got to understand. This is what he's longing for. This proper fear. Here's the truth though. No matter what David did, good or bad in his reign. No matter what, no, what Solomon did, good or bad in his reign. David reigned for 40 years and he died. Solomon reigned for another 40, and he died. And so as every ruler that has ever followed, and every good leader or every bad leader, they come and they go. But not so with our Lord Jesus Christ. He is an ever-living king, and his kingdom is everlasting. He is not just has going to have a kingdom in the future. He is sitting on a throne right now. Right now. He ascended to that throne. The question for the whole message is, what have you done with that king? Got to have my Spurgeon quote in for the morning. Spurgeon said, we see on the shore of time the wrecks of the Caesars, the, wrecks, the relics of the Mughals, the last remnants of the Ottomans, Charlemagne, Maximilian, Napoleon, how they flit like shadows before us. They were and are not. But Jesus forever is. So the only proper response to this king is this fear. This is an all-filled response that produces obedience. A joy-filled obedience. It's a proper fear. A fear of the one that our God that is for us. Solomon serves as God's representative. And he is to be feared and obeyed. 2 Samuel 23 says this, The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me, and His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, He dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. And so we see in this kingdom then a proper fear, but also a healthy prosperity. Uh, a good king to the, to the kingdom brought refreshment to everything. And just like when it rained. Boy, it rained this morning too. I got here to study and it rained. And it rained when I, I, I went outside and you know, just for a few minutes that pollen's not in the air. 
You know, it just washes everything clean. It refreshes everything. That's what he said a good, a good leader does. He's a blessing. God brings a blessing. In other words, this is just true. God blesses a people in a land whose leaders reflect God's character. God blesses a people and a land whose leaders reflect God's character. God turns nations over to do what they want to do when the leaders abandon the Lord God and history bears witness for it. So we pray, Lord, we need a perfect king. That's why we pray for him to come. <laughs> we need a perfect king. But make no mistake, this, this, this earthly king, Solomon has a reign and his reign has a dominion. This is verses 8 to 11. It has an expanse, a, a geographic boundary of this kingdom. We see in verse 8, May the dominion be from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. Solomon's rule was expansive. It was uh, let me just read this. First Kings chapter 4 tells us a little bit about this. Not only this, but tells us it wasn't just his geographic land that was expansive, how God blessed him. First uh, Kings chapter 4 and verse 20 says, Judah and Israel were as many as the sands by the sea. Little little period there. What did God promise his father Abraham? says they ate and drank and were happy. Verse 21, Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. They brought, remember this, we'll get to this in a minute. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Not only was Solomon's rule was expansive, the geographic territory that he ruled, his wisdom was expansive. We can just look down a few verses to verse 29 and it says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and the breadth of his mind like the sands on the, on the seashore so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. You ever watch one of those documentaries where they're trying to figure out how the, how the, how the Egyptians built those pyramids? Think about that for a minute. Those guys came to Solomon for advice. That's how wise this guy was. It was expansive. Yet, you need to feel this, yet Solomon failed. Failed because of his own morality, his own desires. What happened to his kingdom? Passed on to his sons. Kingdom was split. And we know the rest of the story, don't we? It ends, they end up in exile. We need a perfect king. Jesus' kingdom will not fall because he cannot fail. The verse points to this, to a king. It points beyond Solomon. It points to a king with no geographic boundary. Revelation eleven fifteen. 
declares, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And when he comes, he's going to crush his enemies. So the prosperity of his people is coming when he comes. When his reign takes on, he's also going to produce a crushing of his enemies. You can't have one without the other. You see that in verse 9. May the desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. It made me think of Romans 16.20. It says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Final crushing of Satan is coming. And the response to this, the response of a, of a good king who leads his kingdom well is joyful generosity. Joyful generosity. Verses 10 and 11. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him and all the nations serve him. And like we just got through reading, that actually happened in his kingdom. People, they, they, he was praying for this. God answered this. God gave him everything that he prayed for, including his enemies bringing him willfully, joyfully tribute. He was a good king. He produced prosperity not only for his kingdom, but it trickled, the trickle effect trickled out into all the nations around him. So they brought gifts and they even served him willingly. Again, this is pointing their finger not only to a man Solomon, but beyond Solomon. Let me just read this. You know this text, Philippians 2, 9. It says, Therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You ever went to a church where they told you, you need to pay your tithes or else? You thief, you know, open up Malachi. Preachers love some Malachi. Let me preach. Budget's getting low. I'm going to preach. God told me to preach on Malachi again this morning. Would a man rob God? A good king produces joyful generosity. This is why I don't use the word tithe. Have you ever heard me use it from the pulpit asking you to give? No. Why? Listen to this quote. True religion leads to generous giving. We are not taxed in Christ's rule and reign, but we are delighted to offer freely to Him. His free will offering is, is all Christ and His church desire. They nor want nor need to have forced levies from a forced allegiance. We follow Christ because He changed our life. And the result of this is generosity that looks like all kinds of things. The way we serve Him, the way we worship Him, the way we give, the way we grow. That's, the, that's how subjects live in the kingdom. That's what He's praying for. That people would give out of a 
joyful generosity. This king has produced, you see, an economy. And so he, so much this is important to him that he repeats himself. In 12 to 14, he says this kingdom needs to be a kingdom of deliverance and of redemption. Notice verses 12 and 13. The words needy, needy, needy. For he delivered the needy when he calls. The poor and him has no helper. Verse 13. He has pity on the weak and the needy. He saves the life of the needy. <laughs> well, that's it's good to be needy when there's a good king. Because he loves to help. Do you see it? It's the character of the king. Produces a character in the kingdom. The king's a blessing. So think about this. This just makes sense. If, if this was the kind of king that he's going to be, what would it produce in your, your desire, in your heart? We said it's already going to produce joyful generosity. But here, the king, look at verse 15. He's going to be loved and well prayed for. <laughs> if you have that kind of leader leading you, you're going to not only love him, you're going to pray for him. It says, long may he live. May the gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayers be made for him continually. The blessings evoked for him all the day. Revelation 5.13 says this, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever." And ever. Our king is coming. And he is going to bring blessing both to the land and to his people. Flip with me to Revelation chapter 21. Just want you to see this. this we're going to look at three things. Three so what's and then we're done. Revelation 21 I just want you to get you a snapshot of this king and this kingdom that is coming. Revelation 21 says, I, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. That, brothers and sisters, should bring quite a so what into your life. No matter what's going on into your life, I just want you to see three praises for our coming king and his forever kingdom. Three praises, three sort of so what's. The first is Jesus came for glory. 
I know we say Jesus set his glory aside, but make no mistake, Jesus came for glory, not for his own. He came to show you glory, to display glory to you, to put glory on display. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Jesus Christ. He is the glory of God that stepped into time and space so that we may see the glory of God and respond to that glory. He came to reveal it. He came to display it. And then he went back to it. And he's going to return one day in it. He who has promised us is faithful. Jesus came for glory. He also came with a mission. He came with a mission. That mission began by answering this nagging question that those people of Israel would have had. Is God going to still be with us as he was with David? So in the fullness of time, God took on flesh and he stepped into time and space. And he answered that question once and for all. Amen. God with us. The hope of glory. Matter of fact, just listen. Psalm 72 verse 18 said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. You know the greatest wondrous thing that has ever been done? The incarnation. I don't have a problem with guys walking through the fire or a guy surviving in a big fish's belly. But just ponder for a minute the incarnation. God who created time and space and everything in it stepped into that which he created so that we could answer the question, is God really with us? Is God really for us? Has God really fixed this problem that I can never fix myself? The answer is yes, he did because he sent his son he sent His Son, and His Son gave us something. He gave us a mission. Your life is meant for a purpose. He tells you we're here to gather the nations. To gather the nations. Start where you live. Listen, Jesus came as a new and better king. And he gave us a mission as a king, as the subjects of His kingdom. Hebrews 1, 1 says, Long ago, and in many times and in many ways, God spoke to the fathers and prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, and through whom He also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purifications for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become much more superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And this, brothers and sisters, is our king. He is your king. And he has came and he has given you a mission. And Matthew 28, 18 to 20 tells us what that mission is. He said, your job as, our, as kingdom people is to go into the world and make followers of Jesus Christ. You start with your family and your neighbors and then we go to the end of the world. It doesn't matter how safe it is. We go because Christ is on the throne and He is our God and that is what He has told us to do and we have no other choice. 
Because that is where the fullness of joy is. That is where peace is. That is where safety is. That's where his prosperity is. It's by doing what our king tells us to do. And he will give us the power to do it. He's never failed us once. Good place for an amen. Amen. He is coming again. And when he comes, his kingdom will be forever. Verse 19, Psalm 72 said, Blessed be the glory, be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Jesus is the only perfect king. There's not another one. I try to be a perfect dad. I want to be a perfect husband. I, I'd love to be a perfect pastor, but I am destined to fail and have failed in every one of them, and so have you. That's why you need Christ in your life. Covers us with His righteousness. Adopts us into His family and gives us His purpose. I just love this passage. It's not in your notes. Allow me just to read out of the New Living Translation as we close. Hebrews 2, Hebrews 2 and verse 10. It says, God for whom and through whom everything was made chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus through his suffering a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. The question is for us today, what have you done with that Jesus? Let's pray together. Lord, what a glory and a privilege it has been to study through your psalms these 30 weeks or so. Lord, it is a pleasure we could study them all over again and be blessed as if we had never studied them before. Lord, we look forward to studying your word again as we gather, Lord, but now we are here for a response to respond to your word that we have heard. Lord, some of us may need to respond in salvation to just right where we sit, repent of our sins and acknowledge that we can't be perfect. We can't do it on our own. We need you, God. We need your son who died for us to give us his righteousness and his forgiveness to seal us, to cover us, to give us a purpose and a, and a destiny. Lord, you do that today through the power of the Holy Spirit, the only way that you can. Lord, for many of us now, we want to respond through our giving and through our communion with you. And so the, Lord, the tables are set. And Lord, all that are in Christ today that sit before me are welcome to the tables. And so, Lord, those that are before me, that are believers, Lord, we ask you to forgive us. We dare not come to the table in an unworthy way. But ask you in the name of Jesus Christ that you would forgive us our sins and cleanse us from our 
iniquities and allow us to enjoy you at the table today to remember the only way we're in the family is because of the body and the blood of Christ. The only reason we have hope for the coming of your son is through the body and blood of Christ. We look forward to that day when we'll sit at your table and commune with you face to face. But now we hope and we with joyful generosity now come to bring you our worship. Receive it, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.